New voice memo from Suze. I have a question. I've been, I've been noodling on my life. Do you think the fact that I'm continually drawn to avoidant people means I'm avoidant too? And just, I think I want true intimacy, but really I don't. And it's, and being drawn to avoidant people is a way to feel like I'm being truly intimate because I'm more emotional than them, but I'm still not in a truly vulnerable place. Uh-oh, what? But, <laughs> but maybe, maybe that doesn't mean that. Maybe I am truly emotionally capable of intimacy and vulnerability. Or maybe I'm only capable of that with friends and not romantic partners. Oh gosh, what, why, why did this just cross my mind? Like I'm, like what if we're both emotionally unavailable just in different ways? Or maybe I'm not emotionally unavailable. Welcome to what it's like to be my therapist, by the way. <laughs> Let me add this to the list of things to discuss with her, cause uh-oh. Do you have any thoughts on this? I don't know. Welcome to Open Heart Surgery, a podcast where two queer best friends delve into the nuances of relationships and get curious about how to become our most loving selves. Hey, Adrian. Hey, Suze. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. However, I have a bone to pick with you. Okay. Because we just off recording had a 15 minute intimate conversation about love, relationships, dating, and we didn't record it. It's true. We didn't do that. So that's great. I love that. <laughs> just kidding. Um, it was a really good talk. So sorry, it listeners. Was. It was. You, you did not catch it. Yeah. We did not, however, in the whole conversation, talk about our topic for the day. We so didn't. maybe it's fine. Yeah, I think that's fine. And our topic today, episode two, is episode attachment two. theory. Yeah. I talk about attachment theory so often that I think we need a podcast drinking game where if I mention my attachment style or an attachment style I have just diagnosed in someone else, take a shot. I think that's fair. That would be, we would be, get drunk yeah. often. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're here with wonderful therapist, Rachel Tenney, to talk about all things attachment theory today. And I kind of feel like, I like that we're leading with this episode because it just trickles into so many other topics. That yeah. Are... It's such a foundational thing. That's what understand. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I mean. Yeah. Thank you. And it does feel like a little bit of a treat that we're recording this intro, like so close to the release of this podcast episode, because we have been working on this podcast for so long that some of the episodes that we've recorded were recorded months and months ago. I'm like, 
my feelings have changed or I don't, you know, I don't think the exact same way about something and I'm listening to it back as I'm editing or just listening to episodes and I'm like, well, why did I say that? I don't think that anymore. But whatever I say in this episode, I do still feel because it was, we're only doing it like two weeks before the launch. So that feels like a treat to me. That is a treat. (laughs) Have you had any treats today? Have I had any treats? To, I don't think yeah. I've had any treats. Today. I believe in treating yourself every day. I had some leftover Chinese food. Oh, that's a treat. It was a little bit of a treat. It was some sesame tofu, so it was tasty. Ooh. Where was it from? Um, Hunan Express. Hunan Express. We are open to sponsorship. <laughs> from Hunan Express, <laughs> the. The Chinese restaurant by the Food Lion on Eastway. There is always a Chinese restaurant by the Food Lion. It's true. So before we... There's a bug on the wall. There's a bug on the wall. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think it's a stink bug. Yeah, I'm calm and collected around those. The only ones I don't really like are roaches. The grumblies. Grumblies, which is... A word I use for roaches that I adopted from Armchair Expert. Oh, that's where you got yeah, it? Yeah, they... I didn't know where you got it. We're also open to an Armchair Expert sponsorship <laughs> so hard. We are, yeah. <laughs> um, we would love to fall under the armchair umbrella, as they call it. <laughs> oh. um, but yeah, they they say grumbly instead of roach. So I do too. I literally can't say that word. Ugh. Okay, moving on. Uh-huh. Um, back to attachment style. My attachment style with roaches is anxious <laughs> and avoid it. <laughs> so our last episode was sort of, you know, a little bit of backstory, what we're going to do with the podcast. This is really our first episode that's more in the style of how the rest of the episodes are going to go. Yeah. And I think that's really cool. I'm excited that we're getting yeah. to share this now. Yeah. And like we said in like the last episode, this one's definitely more like present and future focused. And yeah. Not as much. I mean, I guess we talk a little bit about, we'll talk a little bit about past probably. Yeah. You got to talk about the past. It's part of you for that's better true. or for worse. Damn it. That's true. Ugh, sometimes I hate that. <laughs> <laughs> and like. You know, this is a more serious episode, I guess, or more yeah. informative, educational. We'll also have some really silly episodes along the way. Yeah. Fun episodes, uh, serious episodes. Well, I think they're all fun. But, they're you know, fun, some that are right. just a little bit more lighthearted than others. This right. is a good one, though. This is a good I one. I loved talking to Rachel, and I just think this is such a huge topic, and we could have easily done a whole season on just this topic probably it's so so in depth and something we talk about a lot so anything you want to share before we get into the interview with rachel or anything that's on your mind i think the only thing i was thinking was i do love that this is one of our first topics because i feel like this is one of the first relationship things you and i really talked about really yeah remember because like you had just read the book attached oh so good and you were just going on about it so much and you were like you need to read this book you need to read this book and so then i read the book you're and so right yeah, yeah it was like, it was like one of our that. first like i mean not obviously we've talked about a lot about relationships and stuff over the past year but that was like one of the first things that was like a topic you and i were yeah interested in and like kind of talked about a lot yeah when we were first talking about starting the podcast i feel like 
it was a topic that was like very foundational to mm-hmm. our idea for the podcast. You're right. Wow, yeah. that has slipped my mind. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, I highly recommend everyone reads Attached. That was probably one of the most enlightening eye-opening illuminating books i've read about relationships love anything like that and also about your relationship with yourself and friends it kind of tackles relationships of all kinds not just romantic and i have a note in my phone with all my biggest takeaways of attached that i read through all the time and yeah my therapist recommended it and i'm so glad i read it i tell everyone to read it i will say like i do this thing which I don't even know if I like that I do this thing, but I do this thing where I, when I read a book and I really like it, I then go on the internet and read critiques of it, uh-huh. like from people who don't like it. Yeah. And then I'm like, well now that is coloring my view. So there are some yeah. critiques of Attached that are kind of valid, but I really like it. Yeah. I endorse it. <laughs> I know we're all <laughs> wondering if I'm going to endorse it or not. Yeah. If Susan um, endorses this book. She does. I do. I, I think it was great. And there are other books on attachment theory that some people like better, but I think it's just such an amazing overview. Yeah, I think it's really good too. I gotta stop reading critiques of things I love. I don't I go back and forth. I do that too. I mean, I'll do it a lot with like movies and music. Yeah. Um, and it's mostly just like, oh, I want to hear someone else's opinion. But then I usually read it and I'm like, I get where you come from, but yeah. I, but I still feel the way I feel, so I don't really care. Yeah. No, I, I totally get it. Yeah. I do that. Just a random thought I've been having. We've been recording these podcasts and I've been really vulnerable and like just kind of, you know, not thinking about the fact that we're going to be releasing these. Yeah. This is going to be the world. <laughs> it's true. I yeah. have I have so much of my baggage on this <laughs> podcast. Yeah. Okay. I mean, not baggage. I have so many of my lessons learned on this podcast. It's like... Wow, okay, people are gonna listen to this. Yeah. Oof. Oopsie. <laughs> please listen with grace. <laughs> yes, please. You will. Yeah. I think our listeners are really cool. Oh, I another so, thing. <laughs> one other thing that I really would love, like if you wanna flirt with me, the best way to flirt with me is to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and give us the highest rating possible and leave a review. Leave a comment. We love a we love a review. Subscribe. Yeah. Flirt. And if you like if you do that and then send me a screenshot to the podcast Instagram account, Open Heart Surgery Pod, I will know you did it and that you're flirting. <laughs> <laughs> and if you don't if you don't do it and show me proof, I won't know. So I won't know who's flirting and who's not. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's not helping anyone. Yeah. Be clear in your flirting. And I do and yeah, be clear of your flirting. And also, if you don't want to flirt with me, please still do that. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't have to be. You'll only be flirting with me if you do all that and send the screenshot. Okay. If you do all that and don't send the screenshot, you're just being a great listener. Yeah. And we love that. But so, you know. We encourage listening or flirting either <laughs> either way. I encourage both. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So okay. let's let's get those subscribing. Let's get the subscribes going. Yeah. Let's do it. Well, I love you so much, Adrian. And 
We're sitting here as the beautiful fall leaves fall behind you. Yes, it's so pretty. It does. And it reminds me that we're all going to die. Every time I watch leaves fall, I'm just like, ah, we will all die like the leaves one day. I mean, should we leave that in or not? I have I a very we, morbid sense of humor. I think we should leave it in. I have a morbid sense of humor and it gets pretty dark, but yeah. I it love life. It sounds like a Phoebe Bridgers line, honestly. <laughs> Phoebe, you can you can use that line. Oh, God, I love Phoebe. Just like, I want to put that out there. I love Phoebe Bridgers and I love the book Attached. <laughs> Two things endorsed <laughs> by Suits. And Phoebe I love Bridges. Adrian. Aw, I love you too. Yeah. I do endorse your endorsements of these two things. <laughs> Thanks. I don't endorse all of your endorsements, but this one, <laughs> these two, I do. <laughs> you don't. <laughs> so we hope you all enjoy listening to this podcast. We had a lot of fun recording it, learned a lot from Rachel, and I think it's just really great content to just keep in mind and noodle on as you navigate your own relationships. Yes. <laughs> I think I was going to say something else. <laughs> that I, didn't. I think that was perfect. Yes. Love y'all. <laughs> so happy listening. And then we'll be back with you next week. And now the interview with Rachel Tenney. Hello, everyone. We're here with Rachel Tenney. Instagram handle Rachel underscore Tenney. She is a therapist, and we will let her introduce herself, and we're going to talk all about attachment theory today. So do you just kind of want to give us a little bit about your background, an intro, all that fun stuff? So I am Rachel Tenney. I'm a licensed clinical mental health counselor. I've been a therapist since 2014. I started my career in residential eating disorder treatment and then worked in different levels of care for eating disorder treatment. And then transitioned in about 2018, 2019 to private practice. Still see folks with eating disorders and disordered eating, but really have expanded my practice to be both more attachment-based and relationally-based and also somatic-based, which is taking into account how our whole body interacts in our attachment and in our relationships with others. Fascinating. I love that journey. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, that's a really that seems like a really interesting progression, I guess. But it, it makes a lot of sense, like when you think about how all those things are, no pun intended, attached to each other. Right, and I think we all struggle with attachment in some way or another. And I think yeah. through working with folks with eating disorders and disordered eating, not to generalize that, but what I realized is like most of them have attachment trauma in some ways, whether it's like early childhood or like with partners later down the road. And, and sometimes I think people replace food or other substances like as a source of comfort to meet that attachment wound. So yeah, that's, it was really interesting. Yeah. Can I share something personal, completely not related to the topic of our podcast, but related to what you just shared? Do it, so I, I used to have an eating disorder, like, uh, cripplingly, but I consider myself pretty much fully recovered now based on a lifetime of work. And I have never thought about how attachment wounds can play into that. Wow. 
I thought I had thought about everything I could have ever thought about related to that topic. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, my job here is done, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Then we'll just take that nugget and run with it. Let me add that to my personal therapy session topic list tomorrow. For my yeah. Weekend. And I'll be happy to shoot you some info about that. There's actually a couple really good books about attachment and eating disorders, specifically wow. parental attachment. What? Yeah. There's a really good one, um, called mother hunger, and it's not always going to be applicable for everyone. Not everyone with an eating disorder has an issue with their mom, but it talks. I do. <laughs> okay. Well then for yeah. you, it might, for you, it might land, but it talks about how, when our attachment needs are met, we try to fill the void. And it specifically talks about folks with eating disorders and substance issues as a result of wow. that. Okay. I've already had a breakthrough. <laughs> Great. I'll send you a link so you can yeah. Listen or read it. Yeah, yeah that'd, be, that'd, that'd be wonderful. I yeah. recommend that book to a lot of my clients. I think it's really helpful to help them understand that connection. Yeah, that's awesome. To to kind of get us started, um, can you just kind of review some of uh, the different attachment styles and what they mean just for, for anyone who maybe are not familiar with it? Yeah. So if you Google attachment styles, you're going to see different names um, for attachment styles. So if you've done that, it might be a little confusing, but there are four primary attachment styles. The first is secure attachment. That's the ideal attachment that we all want to have, where we feel safe and connected to be ourselves. About 50% of the population naturally is securely attached, which to be honest is more than I thought, but I think <laughs> I'm, I'm typically just seeing people who are not securely attached. Yeah. Um, but so that's like the ideal attachment, meaning like I understand where you, where you begin and I end, I feel comfortable. I don't feel anxious and overwhelmed when you leave. I know that you'll come back. I feel like my needs are met in the relationship. And if they're not, then I feel like I can leave the relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, Second type of attachment is anxious attachment. So while I'm talking about this, you guys can be pondering, you probably already know your attachment style, but pondering kind of what you um, see coming up for you. So anxious attachment is someone who really most likely doesn't feel safely attached. They could sometimes, but they're going to be the person that's like, Hey, are you mad at me? Hey, like, are we still good? Like the person who doesn't feel safe in the relationship. I see you all exchanging glances. Um, The person, the person who's like feeling like they have to overcompensate and overdo it to like, earn someone wanting to care about them. They feel like they maybe can't set the boundaries they want to or communicate in the way they want to because they're kind of walking on eggshells. Like, I don't want you to leave me, so I'm going to do whatever I can, which can come across to other people as kind of overbearing. Did you guys have a thought on that one or just exchanging a glance before I move on? So many thoughts. I I think Adrian is one of the most secure people I've ever met in my life. We love that. Are you so securely attached. <laughs> I, and I think I tend to lean more anxious, but I'm finding myself feeling a lot more secure, which maybe we can get into because I've been working on it a lot. Yeah. And sometimes I will think to myself in certain situations, what would Adrian do? <laughs> what would Adrian say? How would Adrian process this? So thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I will say the one glance we exchanged was the, the are you mad at me? Because <laughs> that is a serious. Do you text Adrian that a lot? <laughs> <laughs> I'll just ask you in person. Are you mad at me? 
<laughs> I mean, like, literally, we are we are at a bar drinking and having fun. <laughs> How could I be mad at you at this point? That's a really good example. Like, it's not always rational. We don't always yeah. have right. evidence. It's just, like, yeah. how our brain has learned to process information. Right. And, like, the alert for unsafe unsafe is just more easily activated for people that have more anxious and insecure attachment yeah um so yeah that's about like 20 25 of the population so a pretty good portion of people are anxiously attached um the third type of attachment is avoidant attachment which is where i find myself unfortunately by nature so people with <laughs> avoidant attachment is basically the opposite of anxious attachment you're gonna like avoid emotional and physical intimacy have a really strong sense of independence like autonomy is one of the primary valuable values have um kind of some discomfort expressing your emotions which is a little ironic with my career choice um but <laughs> I, I do try to normalize that yeah, like yeah. Yeah. you know we can all grow and evolve but i do find myself and i think this is an important caveat a lot of times when we're the most overwhelmed we revert to our automatic attachment style versus what we've maybe evolved to be oh, okay um so people with avoidant attachment are usually pretty skeptical of other folks don't don't trust them very easily um basically because they've learned like hey people are going to disappoint me or let me down so i'm just going to stay a little bit removed so that i don't have to be engaged um people with avoidant attachment also might struggle to be in committed relationships not just with partners but with anyone <laughs> they might struggle with like longer term committed relationships or feel threatened when people try to get closer to them than they feel comfortable with any any thoughts on that one so many people i've dated so many people i've dated <laughs> well i think later we can talk about how that bumps up like when yeah. our attachment styles are really in direct opposition of what the other person needs because if you have an anxiously attached and um an avoidantly attached unfortunately that's a really common bearing but it, it ends up being really really hard for both people because you're basically activating and triggering each other's worst fears essentially yeah. by yeah. how you respond um so that's again about 20 percent of the population the last form of attachment is disorganized attachment, which I often say is kind of like anxious attachment and avoidant attachment. The primary fear with people with disorganized attachment is the fear of being rejected. So they kind of switch back and forth a lot. Mm. Um, really hard time regulating emotions can come across as kind of contradictory or emotionally unstable really anxious people typically and then yeah they might be kind of run hot and cold like sometimes they're really attached and then they pull yeah. away so it can be hard for them to have long-term relationships because people usually don't do well with like the hot and cold yeah so those are the four types so obviously we would all love to be secure all the time not super realistic anxious avoid it and then disorganized where do these attachment styles originate from like the idea of how they start up or like in someone's life, like what makes someone secure versus another person disorganized? Ah, yeah. So we don't like to always go back to early childhood relationships because it feels a little shamey and blamey. But really, in our first two months of life, guys, this is wild. In our first two months of life, we form attachment more than any other period in our life. And so wow. in those two months of time, I'll tell you about a study after I say what I'm going to say that I thought was wild. In our first two months of existence, we need to know 
hey, if I have a need, it's going to be met. So for someone with secure attachment, it most likely looked like a child that was able to cry and their cries were listened to and their caretaker tried to figure out what was wrong and soothed them and comforted them. And then they learned, okay, if I need something like whoever it is, it doesn't have to be a parent, but whoever the caretaker is, is going to meet my need. For someone with more anxious attachment, their need was likely met sometimes, but not all the time. And then for someone with more avoidant attachment, their need was probably not met so much. So they kind of stopped crying or stopped asking for the need to be met. And then with someone with more disorganized attachment, it's more likely that there was some kind of abuse or actual neglect happening. But it really is like our nervous systems are learning how to regulate and and babies and small children need to co-regulate from their caretakers. And if your caretaker is not a regulated person themselves, like it's really going to be hard for you as a new human being with no other concept of life and existence to learn to regulate if your caretaker is not themselves in a place of well-being. Yeah, that's so interesting that it goes back that far. Like it's that formative. That's just like, I don't know. It's 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 wild to me that like we could be that we're that affected by something that happened, you know. Yeah. It makes me want to go hug little one month old me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know that it makes me have so much empathy. Yeah. Like often yeah. with clients, I'll go back to like them telling me about like what their caregivers were like or what their parents pregnancy was like and what that experience was like because even those things really do impact how we see the world the study i was thinking about earlier they found that it matters more what happens in the first two months of life like if you have a really good two months of first two months of life with secure attachment you will be okay with less secure attachment like after that but if you have a really difficult first two months it doesn't matter if you have secure attachment after that as well. There's more harm done in the, they did two months versus two years. So if you have really secure attachment and then like there might be some struggles, you're still having a better base than someone who doesn't have secure attachment all in the very beginning and then gets more secure within the first two years. Wow. Oh my gosh, that is wild. It is, it really is. I just have so many. Okay, so I will share in my marriage that's ending, which Mm -hmm. is why we're here doing this amazing podcast, which has been really fun. Which I love for you all. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So in my marriage, I felt very anxiously attached. My partner, I think, tended much more avoidant. And now that I'm single and I'm starting to date again, I feel very secure and I, I, I guess I've done a lot of work on it, but I'm thinking sh- when I get into a relationship again, are those feelings of an- anxiety automatically going to come back up for me? I don't know. And also, is it possible to really change your attachment style? Because I think I've done a lot of work on it, but in those moments of like heightened emotions, the anxiety brain in me and like the anxious attachment style, I can easily revert back to that. But now I notice it more and I can pull myself out of it, but it's really hard. Like, can I change it? Will it ever get easier? 
And if you could just answer all those life questions for me, all that would of be it great. for you. Yes. Yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> Basically, I think, you know, kind of back to what you were saying about your ex-partner, when we are in a relationship where someone really is activating our primary attachment style, that's really hard because our body is kind of existing in that fight or flight state all of the time. Um, oh, that's exactly how it felt. Yeah. Yeah. So it feels like you can feel it kind of like, I feel it in my chest. It's like yeah, this, un- too, it's like, like this dis-ease or unease all of the time. Like, what are they going to do? How are they going to respond? Are they going to be able to be there for me? And sometimes again, like we can have different attachment styles, depending on our relationship, depending on how the other person presents. We are as human beings, constantly assessing people to decide if they are safe or a threat and our brain and our body, like neuroceps without our awareness, sometimes like all of these cues. And so often if we're feeling more anxious about someone, it's usually something about them that's like activating that for us. So that might be a little bit of what you notice. And also it sounds like the work you've done on yourself has caused you to be more aware of like, Hey, I noticed these old narratives or I noticed these old feelings or reactions coming up. Is this actually what I, what I challenge clients to think through often is like, is this an actual threat or is this like a threat based on like a narrative I have about something? Mm-hmm. Do I actually feel worried about how this person is going to be? Or do I just feel worried because I've had bad experiences in the past with other partners? But I I do believe our attachment style really can change. And I think the more secure we find ourselves in who we are and the more regulated we are within our own bodies and beings, the less other people's dysregulation (laughs) and disorganized or or avoidant or attachment, avoidant or anxious attachment is going to impact us and our ability to still feel secure. So that that was really interesting to me, just kind of the idea of, other people setting off that attachment style uh that's kind of like maybe you have somewhat under control until like someone sets that off what are some things you can look for like maybe when you're first dating or you meet someone like what are some things you can look for to kind of gauge where they are or like maybe what their attachment style is ask them if they go to therapy and if they don't immediately leave no i i will that is pretty much our rule yeah <laughs> like have you have you gone to therapy have you processed your traumas yeah. <laughs> um so i kind of have in my mind an idea of like what healthy attachment unhealthy attachment, healthy relationships, unhealthy relationships look like. I think some of the biggest red flags we can look for like in new relationships are, does this person respect my autonomy? Does this person give me space to express my emotions and needs? Does this person validate my experience versus invalidating them? Are they controlling? Are they supportive? Kind of some of those. I actually have a list I can email to you all that you can share with folks of like amazing healthy (laughs) examples of healthy versus kind of unhealthy relationships and like the red flags that we can look for some people again like as you all probably know some people are good at hiding their shit yeah um but i think you can you can notice (laughs) when you're on a date with someone um you know especially your interactions with them afterwards like are they anxiously texting you yeah they ghost you for a little while and like how do you feel about that yeah that's a really good point or you could just ask them be like have you have you processed your attachment style yet and can you tell me about it 
I, that is so something I would ask on a first date. <laughs> if I, I, my partner and I have been, say it's our anniversary, we've been married nine years, which oh is gosh, congratulations. wild. Yeah, Thank you. And I constantly tell him, like, if I had to do online dating or something at this point in life, I think I would fail because I would just, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I would do, honestly. Oh, no. I really don't. Um, yeah. But I think like there are so many questions you can ask, especially yeah. if it's important to you, yeah. um, to ask people from the get go. Yeah. yeah. And I think more people are open and like more people are in therapy or are on this like self-discovery and healing journey. So I don't yeah. think it's such a weird thing to ask people anymore either. I, I don't either. And honestly, if someone I was on a date with did think that was weird, that would probably be a good signal for me that they're not my person. Yeah. Because <laughs> I want to talk about attachment theory and therapy all the time. Yeah. Yeah, if they're like therapy stupid, you're like, uh, all right, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> like, please go to therapy about that belief. <laughs> yeah, you just walk around with like little cards to hand them about therapy. <laughs> Do you think any attachment styles are blanket deal breaker? Like, oh, you should never date an anxious person or you should never date an avoidant? Or does it just depend on the person and the situation? Yeah. I really stray from saying that X, Y, and Z is not helpful. I think it's really important because I I do think that there is, you know, possible partners or friends or relationships for all of us, even people with, you know, disorganized attachment is typically seen as like the quote unquote, like most difficult or challenging Mm -hmm. just because it does have more chaotic energy and it's kind of all over the place. But I still think there are ways to navigate that type of relationship. And if someone with disorganized attachment has a partner with secure attachment, that's going to help them as well. And so I think it's just about understanding you and knowing like, is this person, are we meeting somewhere in the middle where we're both mutually supportive or are they like dragging me to a place that's not helpful or healthy for my well-being? Right. But I do think that you know, if people are open to it, if people, if both partners or number of people in the relationship are open to processing these things, I think really anything is kind of possible. I see couples all the time of, you know, mixed attachment styles and it does make it challenging, but if they care about each other and want the relationship to work, I think it's absolutely possible. You just have to decide what your threshold is and what you're willing to tolerate. Yeah. So a question along those lines. So like if you're in, maybe you're in an established relationship or maybe you're just getting in a relationship and you're kind of starting to notice some things that like some of those like attachment, insecure attachment styles or tendencies, what's the best way to kind of bring that up to, because it seems like bringing that up to someone else is might kind of activate that you know like it's telling an anxious person oh i think you're kind of anxious doesn't seem like that's going to help <laughs> or an avoidant person tell them they're avoidant doesn't seem like it's gonna help so how, how do you bring that up no i think it's always really important that we preface our conversations by asking someone if they're open to feedback oh that's great hey I, i'm noticing something going on kind of here in our dynamic like are you open to me bringing it up are you open to talking about it with me And if they say no, like respecting that. And if they say, you know, if they're in the middle of like spiraling, 
the answer is it's probably not the right time. <laughs> um, so maybe saying like, hey, can we talk about this tomorrow or like another time? So I think one, like just establishing like the consent to talk about it, because I think no. we do, if we bombard people with something just because we're thinking and feeling it and want to process it, it's not always going to land well. So really kind of setting that scene. And if they say they are open to it, say, hey, like these are some things I've noticed. Are you aware of that? This is how it impacts me. Like, are you willing to talk through some of it with me and tell me like kind of what you notice that activates or triggers you and like maybe what I can do to help support you in moments like this? Because often when we are witnessing our partner being activated, it feels pretty helpless. Like in the intensity of the moment, it feels like, oh God, like what have I done or what landmine have I stepped on? So I think having these conversations, even if it is uncomfortable, helps the current situation also helps you. Oh, that was my dryer. Helps you plan for helps you plan for situations in the future when it when it's probably gonna happen again. Yeah. And if you know there are certain triggers, it can be, you know, part of your relationship together to help kind of avoid them if yeah. you can. I love the I love the several pieces there to that. Like the I mean, I just think consent, we talk a lot about consent, but like consent is so important on like so on like every level. Um, so like just having a conversation, like getting consent there and the, like the use of I statements. I love that, of that being a, you know, a less like not a, you have a problem. Like, like (laughs) I'm noticing this. Um, yeah. And, and just kind of like, how can I help you with this? I love that. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Cause we don't know how they're feeling to say like, I'm feeling X, Y, and Z about it. Like, how are you feeling? Yeah. I keep talking about my personal experience. Is that okay? <laughs> it's your podcast. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> wow, that was a bit of an anxious comment I just made. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. So, um... That's almost like, are you mad at me? Can I talk Yeah, of course. It's so, okay. I am confidently talking about my experience. And I... So I feel like I have dated a number of avoidance and some secure people. I don't really think I've dated many or any anxious people. Okay. And, and why does it seem like to me that avoidance and anxious people kind of attract each other and also polarize each other, but seem to be really, they just seem to be very attracted to each other in my mind. Is that true? Yes. My partner is sitting, um, he was mowing the grass and then came in. Do you mind if I talk about our avoidant, anxious attachment relationship? He says he's pretty perfect in case you didn't hear. Yes, of course. Happy nine years. Uh, Yeah, we've made it this far. He must be pretty perfect. Um, so I think like I can, I can speak from personal experience and then like a little bit of what I noticed for others. I think that really avoidant, avoidant folks at their core want to be loved and want to be supported and want to have someone who is attentive. They're just very scared of it because it's unfamiliar to them. And so if you have someone who's anxiously attached and someone who's avoidantly attached, the anxiously attached person is going to be probably more verbally um, expressive of their emotions, expressive to the partner, expressive of the situation. Right. And that actually feels, while it feels scary to the person with avoidant attachment, I think it feels really good because they might not have had that before, or they might not have had someone that's like, no, I really like you. I really care about you. I want to be with you. 
Right. Yeah. And the person who is anxiously attached does get value from the person that's avoidantly attached too, because it kind of, you know, like the, oh, hi puppy. Um, <laughs> it kind of does provide some kind of meeting in the middle balance for them to like reassure them a little like, this is okay, we're good. And I think, you know, it does kind of, it's kind of like a puzzle piece. It does like make a natural fit. And then I think in times of dysregulation, it can be where it switches to being more difficult. Does that kind of track with what your experience has been? Absolutely. It's those dysregulated moments where it feels like the anxious and avoidant. It it kind of feels like this huge impasse or something. Like, you know, we, it felt like we couldn't really understand each other well. Right. Because, because most people at the end of the day, I think like as human beings, we want to feel loved and accepted and secure in our relationships. We want to feel like we can be exactly who we are and that's okay. And I think when people who are anxiously attached feel like there's a threat, they want to over-communicate. And when people who are avoidantly attached, feel like there's a threat, they withdraw. So if I withdraw, like in my personal relationship, if I withdraw, that makes my partner more anxious. If my partner's more anxious, kind of makes me withdraw more. And so you're really like harming the other person's need and like pulling away from each other instead of just labeling what's happening and, and saying like, hey, like this is kind of our attachment bumping up against each other. How can we actually both be here in this moment and support the needs that the other person has. So in those moments where maybe an avoidant partner is pulling away and the anxious partner is pursuing, it has felt to me really unsettling in the past because it feels like I'm so unregulated. So I think a lot of it comes down to how can you regulate yourself and how can you self-soothe in those moments to maybe take your anxiety from a level 10 to a level five or from a six to a two. Because as much as, you know, that validation and soothing from a partner feels great, I'm learning it feels just as good or maybe better to be able to self-soothe and then approach your partner after a certain period of time in a much more regulated state than a high anxiety state. So what are some techniques or tricks you have for self-soothing? Like how can how can people really self-soothe? I know that what helps me the most I've found is just going into like complete silence and focusing only on my breathing and remembering I am here and I'm breathing and there's good and bad in life no matter if my anxieties at a 10 or at a much more manageable level but I don't really even know if that's an effective strategy or you know what are some other strategies yeah and I think I want to go back to something you said too I think it is important to notice that there are two types of regulation the first is self-regulation the second is co-regulation and sometimes like in that moment when both people are at a 10, it's going to look different for them. <laughs> they're just regulation. They're kind of separating. So I think especially for the, for avoidant people, it's like normal and fine to separate. But for the anxious person, I think if you have an avoidant partner, it really is important to just like take a beat instead of like pursuing them often and just be like, okay, I need to get myself back to a regulated place. So I don't feel like I'm reaching for someone who's running away from me. So kind of what you said what I work with people on doing, um, 
If you're familiar at all with polyvagal theory, it's basically just the idea of how our nervous system functions. Oh, we can do a whole nother episode on this if you'll have me back. We're <laughs> so already hard. planning season two, okay, so perfect. we'll add that. Yeah, it's all about self-regulation, right? So what I have people do is like kind of map out their nervous system and say like, what does a level 10 of distress feel like to me? What is a level nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one? What I need to do at a level one to be regulated is really different than a level 10. If I'm level 10, kind of what you said, the only thing that usually works is for me to lay in the bedroom, in my bed for 20 minutes in complete darkness and silence in process. But that's because I'm so dysregulated and kind of shut down and overwhelmed. However, if we can break down and learn to understand the differences and what our body feels like at the different levels of regulation, we can really develop coping skills that help us bring us back into our window of tolerance, which is essentially the place where we can feel safe and connected. So those can be things like going for a walk, talking to someone, deep breathing, whatever it is that you enjoy. But like, if you're at a level 10, deep breathing and meditating is probably not going to do it for you. It's just going to make me mad. (laughs) Yeah. All of my clients that are like, I hate deep breathing and meditating. I'm like, that's because you're so dysregulated already. Yeah. Your brain loses like the rational connected part of it at that point. Yeah. So we're just like basing on our animalistic instinct for survival, which is what happens when there is an attachment threat. We feel like there is a threat to our actual safety to exist. And so our brain says, we're done. We can't connect to this anymore. I just love, I, I love you breaking it down to like kind of the physicality and the physical elements of it. Cause that seems much more like, actionable i feel like because yeah. i feel like in those moments so to preface it so i do have i do think i mostly have a secure attachment style we but like, love that for you <laughs> we do we should do like a slow clap for that <laughs> slow clap for you but i definitely have you know but i definitely have anxious moments with relationships and like some avoidant moments with relationships and like yeah. those moments can feel so overwhelming and in those moments like it can feel like there's nothing you can do about it, you know? The idea of breaking it down to like, how am I feeling this in my body? Where is, how is this affecting me? What can I do physically to like help this? It's so helpful, I think. Yeah, and and I like exactly like you just said, I encourage people to think on the three parts of the emotional experience. Do you all know what those are? Adrian, you kind of just named them actually. I would love to know what those yeah. are. Okay, so the first one is our thoughts. So. In moments of dysregulation, what am I thinking? What am I feeling physically in my body? And then what are my urges and behaviors that I want to engage in? So if you get into an argument or threat, like have a threat or something, if you have an argument with a partner, let's just say, since we've been talking about that, and you notice like, okay, I'm thinking my partner's going to abandon me. That makes me really anxious. I'm super overwhelmed physically in my body. I have a tight chest, sweaty palms. Uh, My urge or behavior is to pursue them. Then I have people think about like, okay, what is the long-term and short-term consequence? So if you pursue them, if you engage in this behavior, you want to, what happens right away? Does it fix the problem? And if you keep doing this, what is the long-term consequence of what happened? And so it kind of even gives you just a moment to pause before you react 
most of us as human beings are pretty reactive, but even if we pause for like 15 seconds and process that, it can give us a beat to think like, what's actually going to happen if I, you know, pack up and leave and leave my partner who is anxiously attached? Like, how is that actually long-term going to impact the relationship that we do have? Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. That's so, so hard to think about in the moment, I feel like, but that's such good advice to just take a minute and be like what do these actions what do these feelings what's what's the long-term effect if i act on what i want to act on right now yeah and i think if we practice them in moments of being more regulated or being less dysregulated like when those really intense moments happen it feels like not as foreign because we've already kind of practiced yeah wow that's such a good point yeah again back to me (laughs) (laughs) I'm sensing a theme here. (laughs) I feel, okay, so I've been in therapy for a really long time. I'm so glad for you. And I, oh my God, I love therapy. And I have talked about this a lot and tried to work on my attachment style a lot. But my anxiety always felt so high in my body that I could talk about it in therapy, but I couldn't put anything in practice. Then I started taking Lexapro last fall and it's like, it's like I'm able to put things into practice now. Like I'm, it's like the combination of therapy and drugs. Is it called a drug? I guess it's a drug. It has like made things so much easier for me. And I don't know if that's me or more people. But it's it's honestly made it so I'm able to, like, think about my attachment style and think about what I want in a partner. And now when I see those avoidant signs, like, I have to chase someone or someone's really inconsistent with me. Maybe they're dysregulated or what was the fourth attachment style? Disorganized. Maybe they're disorganized. Or dysregulated. That yeah. Makes sense. <laughs> in in. In the past, in those moments, I would have been like, ooh, I love the chase. I'm so attracted to this. And now I'm like, this is the biggest turnoff ever. I don't like this. I don't want this. So I guess now that we're talking about this, I'm like, wow, I feel like that is a huge shift that I've had. And I don't think I could have done that just on my own. So maybe I'm just saying if you're considering going on some sort of medication, maybe try it out in, a, in conjunction with therapy. Yeah. yeah. I will co-sign that. I yeah. also take Lexapro and like, I will tell anyone who asks me that because I think, you know, it just, it's like a light switch. It just dims, it dims whatever yeah. it is that's dysregulating for us enough for us to yeah. be in our more authentic and genuine and like integrated self. And I think a testament to what you just said is that when we are in more alignment with our own body and more regulated, we're not craving chaos and you're very turned off by it because you just want to protect your own peace. Like, it's like, this is my existence. I've created safety and a structure for myself. And like, if someone wants to come into that and wreck it, like I'm not super interested in that anymore. It's not fun and exciting. It's just more annoying than anything else. Yeah, (laughs) totally. Look at you. That's gross. That's serious. That's a big yeah. deal. Celebrate that. Yeah. No, you see, you've definitely grown with that. I've seen it for sure. Aw, thanks. 
Because I always think, what would Adrian do? <laughs> do you have like you know, WWAD bracelet? I need, <laughs> I need to get one. I'm, I always I'm joked get about one. that with my old therapist. Yeah. I'm like, what would you do? I should wait. <laughs> <laughs> so just along the lines of, uh, I guess, growth and like learning and trying to get out of those habits. Like what do you have kind of a, I don't know, a plan or a workflow that you'll work with people along attachment styles or attachment therapy how, how what's your process kind of look like there yes i actually you know shameless plug i just made an attachment workbook which oh, cool. talks about the attachment styles and walks people through it whether they work with me or not it helps them understand a little bit about their style how it developed how they kind of work in relationships what healthier relationships could look like for them like where they have attachment trauma or where they have unmet needs from and like what kind of people support them in the way they want to be supported. That's pretty similar to what I would do in in in-person sessions. Um, It might not be the whole entire session (laughs) is taken up, but we'll often come back to it. Or it's like, yeah, I noticed this situation with this person, how I responded, and then we'll kind of bring it back to like the attachment style. Because like you said, we're always growing and evolving. doesn't mean we're going to do it perfectly, but this is something I pretty much introduced to all clients, like all my newer clients in the first or second session is nervous system regulation and our attachment, because I really do believe that those two things are such a basis for how we exist in the world and how we present ourselves in in relationships with other human beings. So trying to get that from the get go. And then it's often something that we'll come back to again and again, depending on types of relationships they're in, if they're dating new people or in a longer term relationship. And it's not just about like romantic or sexual partners. It's about every type of relationship. Yeah. And a lot of it, a lot of it does come back to like the relationships that were harmful to them. Um, I also do EMDR therapy, which is like a type of trauma therapy. And that sometimes will process like harmful attachment through that lens as well. Where can we get that workbook? I'll send you a link. That'd awesome. be great. Yeah. On my awesome. website. Thank you. <laughs> Love that. Yeah, because it, it does like I I really am passionate about making mental health more accessible. Not everyone can afford therapy or have the capacity for therapy. So I try to make all of the worksheets and resources that I use with my clients like accessible as PDFs that people can buy pretty inexpensively so that they, you know, it, it's not a supplement for therapy, but it does help, you know, give people a place to start. And then I work on donate the proceeds each month to a different organization to help fund therapy for other folks. So oh, wow. that's that. kind of something I really am passionate about because I do think we all deserve to have an opportunity to heal from the things that have harmed us and like live a life that feels more congruent with our value system and what matters to us. I love that. So I know we've got about 10 minutes left. We've got some final questions we want to ask yeah. you like a we have like a rapid fire round but oh gosh okay yeah no pressure have but, i had enough coffee this morning for this <laughs> but before that you know what this is just such a huge topic i feel like we could talk for a whole season on just this topic of attachment theory 
what have we maybe not asked you or what have we not talked about that you think would be really important for us or our listeners to know? Hmm. You know, I don't know how many of your listeners are having children or thinking about having kids or like then having like new generations, but I think I personally do want kids in the future. So we can address that to me at least. So I'm, I'm selfishly, you know, I have a toddler and I'm also pregnant again. And I think about oh, it. Congratulations again. Thank you guys. We've now congratulated you on two things on one episode. I love oh, I'm just, just like life monuments over here. You know, by, yeah. the time the, by the time this airs, I will publicly have shared with people that I'm pregnant. Um, so awesome. Yeah. So did um, we just get an exclusive? Oh my God. Maybe you did. I almost told you in the beginning, if I make any weird faces, it's just like the morning sickness that won't go away. Um, okay. You can cut that out if you want to, or leave it in. It's fine. Probably leave Can it you in. tell me your question again, my brain? <laughs> Well, we were okay, yeah. kids, what so. would I tell people? Um, like you, you have the power to change your generational trauma just because everyone else in your family has suffered or struggled or had unhealthy and harmful relationships doesn't mean that you can not do something different. You are not cursed. You are not like destined to repeat their patterns. It's really fucking hard. It's going to take a lot of effort, but it's hugely possible and it will change not your life only, but like the generations of people to come after you. And that I think is the biggest gift you could give anyone, especially if you do want to have children, or even if you're just thinking about the relationship or relationships you want to be in, like you can change those things. And I think we don't talk about that enough. Like just because everyone that you've ever been in relationship with struggled with how they treated people and their attachment and their bonding doesn't mean that you can't have healthy attachment with your kids or whoever else you choose to have part of your life. Wow. I love that. Yeah. Adrian is, Adrian already knows they're going to be like, incredibly influential in my future kids life one oh, day yeah. so i hope so thank goodness you've got this attachment secure <laughs> attachment you're gonna be demonstrating which is <laughs> which is such a good example too like we get to surround our tiny humans with like other people we love and care about and yeah. they get so many great examples of secure attachment because of that like we don't just have to rely on like our blood relatives which i'm sure you all know blood relatives are kind of a eh. Yeah. Um, yeah. Disappointment <laughs> sometimes, but yeah. yeah, you can have as many other lovely humans in your life to help support you too. Yeah, I love that. Very cool. So we're calling our rapid fire round. We're doing with every guest at the end of the interview speed dating. So we have four questions for you. First question is if you could describe love in five words or less, how would you do it? Being fully yourself. Mm, love that. I love that so much. Like how many How many words of that? <laughs> yeah, like being able to fully be yourself. <laughs> that is, is what I really want to say, but I think that's six words. That is perfect. That's perfect. Okay, second question. If you could go back in time and tell past you, younger you, anything about love, relationships, connection, any anything along those topics, 
what lesson would you impart to your younger self? So many, but I think like, don't settle for anyone that isn't giving you what you need. Don't settle for anything that's not what you deserve. So Which is, it's kind of cool, honestly. I know this isn't rapid fire, but I think that's- No, such, I, I don't want it to be. <laughs> it's such like a cool part about being a therapist is sometimes I feel like you like, you continue your own healing, right? But I think yeah. I work with so many teenagers and wow. it's just so fun to work with them and be like, God, like, you know, I wish I had someone like me when yeah. I was reading age. Yeah, and so I think that's like always something I think about is like, yeah, I wish I had someone, but it's really dope that I get to be that person for other people so that they don't have to feel alone because especially, yeah, I think our first like partner relationships are often kind of traumatic and not ideal. Um, and it does really impact people longer than we think it does. Yeah. Love that. So the last two are a little more fun and less deep. Um, but, uh, what what is your favorite if you like romantic comedies what's your favorite rom-com you know i watch my comfort movie right now insomnia is 10 things i hate about you and i watched it do we consider okay. that a rom-com oh yeah, I yeah. That I last so. night. and then i was like oh i love heath ledger so much yeah, yeah. so okay. i yeah i watch it when i can't sleep actually i watched it last night so that's Babe. <laughs> I love that. I love comfort movies like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we all have them for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and um, your favorite love song. Oh, man. Do I have a favorite love song? Did you have a wedding song? Yes. And I'm like looking over. <laughs> what our, babe, what was our wedding song? <laughs> <laughs> no, the. That we danced, that we danced to at the wedding, guys. This is so bad. I love this. It was John Legend. It was something by John. Oh, nice. I love John Legend. I'll report back on that. That's terrible. I can no, completely fine. Not terrible at all. It was nine years ago. Things that you don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> uh, John Legend's great, though. Yeah, my husband doesn't remember either, so maybe we're equally as bad. I love it. We're tied for not remembering. Yeah, <laughs> well thank you so much for your time i feel like this is just super helpful and a great discussion so thank you and we'll have you back on season two for what was it called somatic for somatic polyvagal polyvagal yeah yeah for yeah that sounds fascinating awesome well i'm really excited about what you all are doing i think it's so valuable and i can't wait to be able to share it with everybody and for our listeners the best place for people to find you is like instagram your website yeah my web- website is just my name so r-a-c-h-e-l-t-e-n-n-y.com and my social media is rachel underscore tenny i have tiktok don't love tiktok i'm too old for it but <laughs> That's fair. Instagram is the best place to find me. And I share a lot of stories and random things, you know, little mental health tidbits along the way. Yeah. You have awesome. a great Instagram. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, I'm excited to see yours. I'll have to follow along to keep up with what you all are doing. Well, thank you so much. Yes, Happy anniversary. You. Congrats on baby number two. It's a wild time. And I hope we get to chat again. Yeah. Too. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. All right. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Bye.
Thank you so much for listening. Follow along on our socials at Open Heart Surgery Pod on Instagram, Open Heart Pod on Twitter, and Open Heart Surgery Podcast on Facebook. This podcast is produced by Adrian and Susanna with music by Space Baby and logo design by Emma. This is a Lost Frequency audio production. Yeah, boy. Oh. <laughs> I kind of like it.